podcast from Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJR20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. Today, we're going to break down uh, George Kirby's brilliant performance against the New York Yankees yesterday, May 31st. Uh, Mariners win 1-0 in 10 innings. Uh, kind of game I love watching. Uh, brilliant pitching performances on both sides. Uh, George Kirby was absolutely dominant. We're going to break down his start. We'll talk a little bit about the offense. I'm going to go through and talk about each uh, Mariners starting uh, hitter and a little bit of what I've seen over the past couple of weeks and and the ways in which uh, I believe they're trending. Um, but really, this game was about George Kirby. Uh, George Kirby did not get the win, unfortunately for him. He went eight innings, three hits, no runs, no walks, seven strikeouts. He threw 67 strikes out of the 95 pitches that he threw. Boy, where do I start? So we all know that what differentiates George Kirby from really any other starter in the majors, but specifically on the Mariner staff, is his command. Uh, it's George Kirby most of the time looks like he can put the ball literally anywhere he wants to. Uh, there are other pitchers with command like Kirby, but none with uh, the combination of command and stuff. You know, he's in, in this game, he came out throwing 98 miles an hour, uh, lots of, of sinkers at 98. Uh, his slider was had tremendous break. All of his pitches, interestingly, uh, in this game uh, were up velocity-wise over his yearly average. He averaged 97 miles an hour with the fastball, 96.6 with the slider. Both were a mile and a half uh, above – uh, the yearly at uh, his yearly average, even his slider and his curveball were up slightly, uh, about a half mile an hour. So I think he came out looking to prove something. Uh, he had given up uh, seven runs against the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates in his previous start. He was certainly aggressive, but really with Kirby, it's all about his command. Uh, he's he's brilliant and. Um, as I've said in previous pods, I think he is a legitimate uh, American League Cy Young candidate in his uh, first uh, at the first at bat against Kirby in the top of the first. Glaber Torres took the first pitch. It was 98 miles an hour in absolute paint. Uh, third pitch of the at bat was 97 at the top of the zone. And then the next pitch was 99 up and out of the zone that Torres swung out for, or swung at to strike out. So you're talking about a guy who can put the ball anywhere he wants coming at it, the first hitter at 98, 97 and 99 miles an hour. Uh, Aaron judge batted second. Uh, he had a two Oh count. He took a 86 mile an hour slider for a called strike, a 98 mile an hour fastball inside for three, one count. And then uh, 98 middle, middle, he grounded out to the shortstop. I think from a lot of, pitchers that 98 middle middle Aaron judge would have sent over the fences, but uh, because of uh, the slider that Kirby threw uh, previously judge had to protect against it. I just, 
it, Kirby's a tough at bat. And um, while the criticism of Kirby has been that he's in the zone so much that it is a comfortable at bat and, and you see him surrender more hits than, than you would think uh, it's still, you know, you're still guessing up there against him because he's able to to throw uh, four pitches with command. That brings uh, me to, I guess, a converse, quick conversation or a quick um, comment about the difference between command and control. Uh, control is essentially the ability to throw strikes and not walk. Um an above average number of, of batters, but command means you can really put the ball wherever you want to. And when you have command, you can start to make uh, balls look like strikes and strikes look like balls. We see it quite often with George Kirby and his sinker where he's able to start the sinker at uh, the midsection or at the knees of a left-handed hitter and have the ball uh, tail back for a called strike. He often uses this with two strikes uh, for a called strike three. That's command. That's the ability to put the ball exactly where you want it, you know, to start it at the the knees of a left or the, the belt of a left-hander and have it break back is Maddox-like, right? Greg Maddox used to do that all the time with his two-seamer. Uh, we don't see that type of command from uh, Bryce Miller or Logan Gilbert. I think they with their stuff, they're really trying to get the ball over the plate for the most part. I do think there's some vertical ability to work vertically with those two. They have some command vertically. You see Bryce Miller uh, be able to pitch at the top of the zone and then at the bottom of the zone. But I think those two pitchers are still learning command or are um, trying to let their stuff do the work. Luis Castillo, on the other hand, uh, his last start had very good command and we saw what he was capable of uh when his command is good he was he was dominant kirby what separates him from those three is that his command is consistent it's every game and part of that is the is his mechanics and how repeatable they are um part of it is i think he's he's such a, a mentally strong Pitcher, not that the others aren't, but Kirby's unflappable. I did also look at um, at his release point uh, versus Bryce Miller for each pitch in the last start. And when you look at Miller's release point, you see uh, different colored dots in different places for each pitch. And so he's releasing the ball at a slightly different spot, dependent on type of pitch. That does two things that... A, it allows a hitter a little bit of a hint if they're looking for it uh, as to what's coming. And two, with an inconsistent release point um, for each pitch, it I think that there's a, a slight decrease in command or slight decrease in ability to understand where the ball is going. Whereas you look at George Kirby and all of his pitches are dotted on top of one another. He's throwing every pitch from exactly the same release point which allows him to, you know, to repeat his delivery and repeat his release point over and over again. I think that is very much key to uh, to his command. And then, as I said, with Castillo, I think he goes up and down with his command. And when we see great command from Castillo, we see 
an American League Cy Young candidate. And when we see uh, control, but a lack of command from Castillo, it's more of uh, him working out of trouble and what I would consider a middle of the rotation starter. One other thing I saw from Kirby in this game is that he was taking the pitch clock down to four to six seconds. Uh, it was noticeable when you compare it to his counterpart, uh, Clark Schmidt, who was pitching with a little more time left on the clock. Uh, Kirby is, but it was the same amount of time left on the clock virtually uh, every pitch. So he's very much locked into a routine. Again, I think this allows him to repeat pitches and uh, command the way that he does. But he was, as I said, he was absolutely brilliant. Uh, top two, you know, you saw him kind of, you know, he dominated uh, DJ LeMahieu and then he who grounded out to second. Uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa uh, hit a 98-mile-an-hour fastball that was up and in. He got jammed. He hit it uh, into a ground out to Eugenio Suarez. And then Jake Bowers uh, struck out on a 98-mile-an-hour fastball at the top of the zone for a swinging strike three. I think that was um, that Bowers at bat where he went second pitch, 97 uh, fastball that was outside for a swinging strike and then 97 uh, up and outside corner for called strike two. That's, that is very, that's vintage um, uh, George Kirby. That's, that's literally what he's been doing for the last couple of years. And he's just refining his craft right now. Uh, Clark Schmidt, the Mariners uh, or George Kirby's counterpart pitched very well in this game. He is, uh, you know, he's a sinker slider uh, or sinker sweeper cutter pitcher who, uh, interestingly, I did a deep dive for a buddy of mine uh, in fantasy because he asked what I thought of uh, Clark Schmidt based on this start. And my response was that his ceiling is Joe Musgrove because Joe Musgrove has a, an, a below average fastball, but two uh, above average breaking pitches. And I see... Uh, I see Clark Schmidt in a similar fashion, his knuckle curve. So he had a knuckle curve, a sweeper, a cutter and a sinker. And the, both the uh, knuckle curve and the sweeper, I consider to be above average pitches. They looked, those pitches looked very good from him. The cutter, he threw a little less often than I expected. And it looked to be a pretty, uh, a quality pitch. I call it an average pitch, probably a 55 grade but it's the sinker that gets him in all the trouble. So uh, his whiff rate against that sinker, which he throws 26% of the time, is 7.1%, which is very, very poor. Uh, opposing batters are hitting 351 with the 500 slug against that pitch. Uh, the sweeper, on the other hand, gets a 29.3% whiff rate. Uh, the cutter, a 30% whiff rate, which you see very uh, few cutters with that type of, of whiff rate. And then the curveball with a 34.9% whiff rate. So a pitcher who has three pitchers right around 30% or above whiff rate in theory should be a strikeout pitcher and very effective. Um, but the sinker is not, is the one pitch that he, uh, I believe needs to scrap. Why do I bring up Clark Schmidt on a Mariners podcast? Well, I saw him leave two sinkers in the first inning against the Mariners uh, middle, middle, which the Mariners didn't couldn't do any damage against. Uh, J.P. Crawford hit the first pitch he saw, which was the middle, middle 95-mile-an-hour sinker, uh, and he flew out to center field. 
And then Jay, or uh, Ty France took a 95 middle, middle sink, uh, sinker for strike one. Sinkers at the middle of the zone that you're not able to get down in the zone should be base hits, should be hit out of the park. Um, you see pretty high averages run against the sinker and the Mariners should have done damage in the first against those two pitches in the bottom of the second, uh, Gino hit a, uh, 94 middle, middle sinker, uh, and he flew out to right field. And then, uh, Cal Raleigh hit a sinker that was middle, middle for a, uh, ground out to second base. I know that that Clark Schmidt has a pretty good arm, but those are pitches that should um, the Mariners should be able to do damage on, and they weren't. So Mariners had opportunity in the first two innings based on the pitches that they saw, in my opinion. Uh, Tail missed a middle-middle sweeper that was 86 mile an hour for for strike one. Uh, As a side note, you know, I don't like to trash – Folks that are trying to do their job, but uh, Dave Sims called it a uh, called it a curveball, which was is not the right call. Kind of bugged me. Um, the next pitch was an 87 mile an hour uh, sweeper that was off the plate, but called a strike. Uh, Tail was not happy with that call at all. I wouldn't be either, but I I, I think it impacted the rest of the at bat. Uh, he there's a couple of good takes. In this at bat, and then he ended up grounding out to third. Uh, he was jammed on a 94 mile an hour sinker. Uh, uh, you're starting to see some signs from Teo Hernandez of of being able to identify um, the sweeper or the slider a little bit more. Uh, I still think he's a bit confused. Uh, later on in the game, he was very late on a cutter that was uh, a strike, but slightly inside. It was a pitch that I would have expected him to hit, but I think he's in between speeds and that um, his inability to hit the slider. Uh, has been, is in his head quite a bit. Um, I guess this is a good point. So the Mariners ended up, you know, zero zero back and forth. Uh, Kirby goes eighty or goes uh, eight innings. He, he had eighty five pitches uh, through seven. He in the sixth and the seventh he started to tire a little bit. And what I, I there's not a or there wasn't a shift in. Um, in velocity or movement as much as he left a couple more pitches uh, middle, middle, and that were hittable. Uh, Anthony Volpe in the sixth uh, flew out to right field on a 97 mile an hour fastball. That was in the middle. Uh, It was 96 off the bat. It looked to be a bit of a, of a challenge pitch. Um, And interestingly, it was the first fly ball out, uh, from the Yankees against Kirby in this game. And that it took until the sixth inning for a, for a fly ball out. Uh, you compare that to Kirby's last outing, which was in which he was very ineffective. He, there was 11 fly balls against the pirates. And I think that was part of the reason why the pirates hit four home runs against him. Uh, so sixth inning, he's got the middle, middle fastball to Volpe. Uh, Greg Allen, uh, tried to bunt for a base hit, ended up being a sacrifice, but that was a slider middle, middle first pitch. You just don't see Kirby uh, leaving pitches, uh, getting the, the majority of the zone often. And so that to me was a sign of him tiring. Uh, really a great confrontation with two outs against Glaber Torres in the bottom of the sixth. Um, this was kind of the turning point in the game for me. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Three, two count. 
Uh, Torres fouls off a, a 97 mile an hour fastball at the top of the zone. Uh, Kirby throws a 95 mile an hour sinker. Torres hit this sinker 106.2 miles an hour uh, off the bat. And J.P. Crawford uh, dove headlong uh, into the hole between short and third and made an incredible play uh, for the third out. In my opinion, this was the pivot point for the game. Uh, had the ball gone through, uh, the the Yankees would have scored. And I just – I think that, you know, J.P. does so many great little things um, uh, on the field every day that that make him uh, worth the contract and I think worth uh, being the team – the team captain, I just, it was, it was a great play. And, and uh, again, as Kirby was tiring and starting to leave pitches over the plate, he needed uh, some of the people, the, his teammates behind him to step up. I just, I love that play. I think it was very uh, indicative or exemplary of, of what JP Crawford does on a day-to-day -day basis for, for the Mariners, whether it's taking pitches not in this game, but taking pitches in the beginning of the game to allow the the hitters behind him to see what the pitcher looks like that day to, you know, being very consistent in terms of, uh, you know, in the field, turning double plays to, you know, some of the great, the highlight real range plays that we see from him. Uh, JP is, is uh, a wonderful player. And I think that he uh, is, deserves as much credit as anyone for this win. Uh in the top of the seventh, uh, George Kirby again um, left some pitches uh, in a place where I, I don't think he wanted them. Uh, against Aaron Judge, uh, the one-one count, he threw a very pretty uh, eighty-two mile an hour, like kind of rainbow twelve to six looking curve uh, that was low and away for a swinging strike. Too, it was a strike uh, had he taken the pitch. Just a, a very visibly um, gorgeous pitch from Kirby. Uh, and then he hung a 79-mile-an-hour curveball that uh, Judge fouled off. It was inside, but it was uh, very much uh, not in a location that you would expect George Kirby to, to throw a pitch. Next pitch was 98 up and out of the zone for a ball. Then 86 slider uh, low, and, low and way outside. Uh and then the final pitch was an 82 mile an hour curve that was middle of the zone uh, and up, but it was absolutely hung. It was the kind of pitch that I'm sure uh, Aaron Judge thought about after the game. It was 109 2 off the bat. Uh, luckily for George Kirby, it was, uh, he hit it to the warning track and flew out to Jared Kelnick. It was uh, the launch angle was 43 degrees. So, you know, it's very much a, a towering fly ball. 365 feet, had a 430 uh, expected batting average on the, on the batted ball event. But this, to me, that's the sign that you look for from George Kirby to see that he's tiring. It's not velocity. It's not movement. It's um, is he uh, – are pitches ending up middle-middle or hung in the way that he did to judge? I think the Mariners needed a little bit of luck in this game to win 1-0. Uh, the catch by Crawford in the sixth uh, certainly was was a beautiful catch. Uh, not one that he's going to make 10 out of 10 times. And then this curveball that he hung, that Kirby hung to judge, uh, really should have been a home run from, from Aaron Judge. And the Mariners were lucky to escape that inning. 
Uh, let's see, bottom eight. Uh, I did. I want to comment a little bit on kind of the Mariners' approach uh, in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, Colton Wong tried to uh, drag bunt to get his to get his way on base. I appreciate what Wong did in this game. You know, I know he's been struggling, and I I've all basically called for him to get cut already, but he took a lot of pitches and uh, I think that's the approach that Colton Wong needs to be taking for the Mariners uh, in the bottom of the third. He, uh, he walked, I, I have in my notes that it was a great at bat. It was a 91 cutter at 91 that he took inside off the plate. Uh, he took an 83 mile an hour knuckle curve that was up and away. I uh, took a sinker low. He took a, uh, uh, cutter at 92 in the strike zone for strike one. He fouled off a cutter up to to get the count to three two, and then he took a 90 a cutter at 91 for ball four. Those are the kinds of at bats that add value uh, to the Mariners if Colton Wong's able to do that. He doesn't have to get on base all the time, but he needs to see pitches and he needs to um, to make it difficult on the pitcher, regardless of whether uh, he does damage or not. Uh, in the bottom of the fifth, Wong took a sweeper at 87 for strike one. Uh, he took a sinker at 93 for ball one. Then he hit a 93-mile-an-hour middle-middle sinker, and he flew out to left field. It was 97 mile an hour, miles an hour off the bat at an XBA of uh, 300. Uh, and while he only took or only saw three pitches in this at bat, he did swing at a middle-middle pitch, which is, you know, that's again, that's what you want to see. He's not, you don't want him to be up there passive, but you want him to be swinging at uh, balls that are, um, that should be swung at. So that was another effective at bat. I like, as I said, I like the fact that he tried to get on base, even though he was bunting, he realizes that he's slumping and he's trying to get on base any way he can. Uh, the one criticism I have of the attempted butt base hit in the bottom of the eighth is that Colton Wong is slow. And he may not realize it, uh, but all the metrics say that he's slow. He's a below average runner at this point in his career. But again, I commend the um, the attempt to try to get on base any way he can, especially in a 0-0 game in the eighth. Uh, the next batter uh, with one out was JP. Uh, he took the first five pitches of the at-bat. He ended up striking out on a... Uh, on a changeup low in the zone. It was a beautiful pitch from Clay, uh, from Wandy Peralta. Um, Peralta was all over the place, brushed back JP in this at bat. Um, but competitive at bat, I, again, I love the fact that this might be my bias as far as the type of offense that I think is effective. Um, but it does uh, fall in line with the Mariners' um, attempt to control the zone. You know, you've got, Wong taking a bunch of pitches throughout the game. You've got JP taking the first five pitches in the bottom of the eighth, trying to get on base. That type of patience um, leads to high on base percentage and leads to kind of being selective and looking for your pitch. And, and I would much rather see that than uh, the over-aggression that we've seen from the Mariners uh, in the first, I guess, third of the season. So Clay Holmes, right-handed pitcher, uh, sinker slider, uh, has been the closer off and on for the Yankees this season, came in to replace Peralta so that they would have the right-on-right -right matchup against Ty France. Uh, he saw two sinkers and then two sliders. He struck out. Um, it was clear that the Yankees' scouting report on 
by France was to throw, basically just throw low and away uh, over and over again. Uh, the second pitch in this at-bat was high, uh, sinker that was high and inside, but everything else in this at-bat was low and away. And Ty France chased, which I think is is in some ways his weak spot and his M.O. Um, top nine, Paul Seawald replaced George Kirby. Seawald's been on fire lately. Uh, so interesting because he really does top out right around uh, 92 or about 94 miles an hour, um, which is not premium velocity. It's about average velocity uh, for a major league pitcher. But he's got so much ride on that fastball and the sweeper is such an effective pitch that his stuff rating is sky high. So for someone without the type of velocity that, that you would expect to rate highly on stuff um, in loca location plus charts, Seawald does. So Seawald, uh, Paul Seawald's location plus is a one Oh four, which is, which is very good, but his stuff plus is a one thirty three. Uh, 131 on the fastball, 135 on the slider. Um, that's dominant. And uh, he showed it in the, in the top of the ninth in this game. He struck out Greg Allen on a uh, middle-middle sweeper, but Greg Allen was tied in knots. Uh, Glaber Torres hit a 91-mile-an-hour fastball that was up and out of the zone for as a foul ball. Interestingly, this was one of the few uh, slip-ups by the Mariners as far as um, being fundamentally sound in this game uh, should have been caught by Ty France, uh, France, Teo Hernandez and Colton Wong all kind of converged and nobody really made a strong attempt at it. But thankful or uh, thankfully for the Mariners, uh, Torres ended up ground, uh, grounding out to uh, third base on a sweeper. So here's another interesting call by the Mariners um, and I think a pivotal decision in this game. So you have two outs, 0-0 zero, zero game, top nine. And Scott Service uh, decided to intentionally walk Aaron Judge to get to Willie Calhoun. Uh, Judge has been on fire in this series. Aaron Judge was the best hitter in baseball last year. Um, uh, and so, to, but to put a runner on first with Willie Calhoun coming up, who's also been on fire in this series, is still uh, a bit of a risk. You know, an extra base hit with two outs from Willie Calhoun scores Aaron Judge. But I think that was the the type of respect that um, that the Mariners have for Aaron Judge. And also Paul Seawald is a very effective pitcher as a right-hander against left-handers as well. And so facing Calhoun was not as much of a risk as you might think from a right-handed pitcher. So Seawald faces Calhoun. First pitch was 92, top of the zone, fouled off. Uh, second pitch was a sweeper at 84 that was fouled off, so 0-2 count. And then on a 92-mile-an-hour fastball, Willie Calhoun flew out to left field to end the inning. Uh, bottom nine, Julio uh, struck out on an 88-mile-an-hour slider uh, that was in the dirt. It was a nice pitch, uh, especially to, to Julio, who you know is going to chase. I'll get to Julio in a minute um, with some of his plate discipline stuff. Uh, Jared Kelnick, uh, got lucky on the first pitch, uh, it was called, uh, ball one. It was actually a strike up in the zone, fouled off 97 in the zone to go one, one, uh, ended up striking out on a, uh, three, two count. It's a 96 mile an hour 
um, sinker from Holmes that was um, low and on the inside corners, absolutely nasty, nasty pitch. Uh, Kelnick argued it was actually it was actually a strike. Um, pretty unhittable if you can put that type of sinker with that kind of velocity and movement um, on the inside corner like that, uh, especially with, in the three-two count. Then Gino came up and uh, he got a 95 mile an hour sinker that was middle middle um, that he swung and missed on a three one count. Then he got 97 middle middle that he ended up grounding out to short. So Gino had an, op- an opportunity with those two pitches to end the game and he didn't. Uh, Mayors brought in Justin Topa for Seawall top 10. Uh, obviously, there's a, a runner that starts on. So I almost call it the ghost runner because of kickball as a kid. Uh Miss kickball. So runner starts on second extra innings, as we know. Um, DJ LeMayhew hits a ground ball to J.P. Crawford. I just got done singing the praises of J.P. Uh, as being consistent and a captain and all those things. Of course, he bobbled uh, this ground ball. I think there was a little bit of um, indecision from him as to whether he wanted to go to third or to first with the, with, uh, the throw. Ends up bobbling it for an error. Uh, first and third, no outs. Uh, Justin Topa gets Isaiah, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa to foul out to third base. Looked like a bit of a mistake pitch. Looked like a pitch that uh, Kiner-Falefa could have handled. Um, got a little bit lucky there. Jake Bowers walks to load the bases. Anthony Volpe gra- um, uh, with the infield in grounds to, to uh, third base. Suarez came home for the force out. Um, leads, so bases loaded, two outs. Yankees pinch hit. Uh, Franchi Cordero, left-handed journeyman hitter, still a, a decent major league hitter. Uh, he fouled off a middle-middle sinker, um, which I have in my notes as lucky for the Mariners. They ended up striking out on 95 um, inside on a 3-2 count. So Justin Topa wriggles out of that. Really nice pitching. There was some luck involved, but the Mariners played you know, outside of JP's bobble. They really did play fundamental baseball after that to get out of the inning. Ron Marinaccio comes in for Holmes um, for the Yankees. Marinaccio's got a mid-90s fastball, but his out pitch is an elite uh, changeup. Jose Caballero starts the inning at second. Of course, who who else but Cal Raleigh is the one to be the hero for the Mariners in this game. Uh, What was interesting about this at-bat is that he had a 2-1 count, and he chased a really nasty changeup that looked like a low strike coming into him and just dove, absolutely dove down into the dirt or out of the zone, not into the dirt, but out of the zone for a swinging uh, strike two. In my notes, I have Bugs Bunny because it looked like a Bugs Bunny changeup. So, but coming off of this pitch, so Raleigh sees an 83 mile an hour changeup, bottom of the zone, swing and miss, looks silly. 2-2 count, Marinaccio throws another 83-mile-an-hour changeup that he gets up just slightly. It actually would have been a strike uh, had Raleigh taken it. But I don't remember who the batter was I spoke of in a previous pod in this regard. But when a, a hitter sees a pitch at a similar eye level of a similar velocity two times in a row, a major league hitter is going to hit that pitch. And so I'd see it as a mistake for Marinaccio to throw a slider in the same similar location again. Uh, it was 107-1 off the bat. Cal Raleigh singles to right field. Mariners win. Mariners go crazy. 1-0 uh, victory to salvage the third game of the three-game series. Uh, 
it was just a fun game to watch. There's a lot of detail to it. Um, again, two really uh, dominant pitching performances from uh, George Kirby and Clark Schmidt. Uh, my type of game. I like these one zero two one games. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, one thing I want to go over before I'm done is just a quick rundown as to what I'm seeing from um, from the Mariners lineup and uh, what I might like to see moving forward, or what I think some of these some of them can correct. I'm just going to start at the top of the lineup. Uh, JP Crawford, you know, I think looks to me looks better when he's uh, going deep into accounts. I really, as I've said, I love Crawford in that leadoff spot. I think that it's, it's the right move for the Mariners. I think moving uh, Julio down in the lineup was the right move for the Mariners. Uh, Crawford is not conventional in that he's pretty slow for a leadoff hitter, but um, he's getting on base. Uh, as of right now, uh, his triple slash is 251. A 355 on base percentage and a 713 OPS. Um, but he's not up there to slug. He's up there to get on. Uh Ty France is such a an interesting hitter to me. And I don't, you know, I don't want to, I can't say that I've ever been a huge fan of Ty France. Um, in part, I think because of my own kind of expectation of a first baseman and what they they quote unquote should provide offensively. Uh, France has been an effective major leaguer for the Mariners. His WRC plus currently sits at 114. Um, you know, 262 average, 338 on base percentage, uh, 745 OPS as of right now. But he doesn't walk a whole lot and he doesn't hit for a ton of power. You know, he's got five home runs thus far. Really, what he is is a uh, skilled major league hitter um with probably with average power um who plays an above average first defensive first base but I, I think that the Mariners if given the opportunity to find a slugging first baseman be it free agency or in a deal I think it would do them um very well to find a uh a first baseman that hits for a little more pop. I do think Ty France plays a role on this team. Uh, the one other thing is when he hits second because of his lack of foot speed and his propensity to hit um, ground balls, I do think that there's some, you know, you run a lot of risk of him grinding, uh, grounding, grounding into double plays with runners on. And I don't love that either. Uh, for me in a perfect world, Ty France would be hit a lot lower in a lineup than second but that's where he is for the Mariners. Uh, Julio. So, man, how how can you be critical of a superstar who uh, just won AL Player of the Week and has been on fire? Um, I'm really not. I think, you know, he is at this place where Ronald Acuna is right now, where we saw – uh, Vladimir Guerrero senior uh, junior has some of this as well. They really don't swing and miss much. And while Julio Rodriguez's swing and miss is fairly high right now, like when he's going well, he's really hitting virtually anything he swings at hard. And that's where he's he his swing strike rate currently is 14.4%, but I believe it's gone down quite a bit um over the course of the season. He looks like he can hit hard anything that he swings at. And 
The only thing I think for his development, the only thing that I would love to see, and I don't know that I would press this upon him if he didn't want to do it because he's such a talented hitter, you want to just let him be. But if he can get to a place where he starts hunting specific pitches and he's able to see more pitches through his at-bats, I think he can start to to try to elevate to left field and hit for a lot more power. As of right now, he's just he's trying to hit everything hard to right center. And um, I like that approach. I think that it allows him to uh, hit for a high average potentially. But if he's going to hit 40 home runs, in my opinion, he's going to have to start getting out in front of um, a lot more uh, a lot more pitches than he is right now. Uh, one quick thing with Julio, if I can find it here. Um, I believe he swung at, oh, here we go. Excuse me. Makes for great radio. Uh, he saw eight pitches in this game. He swung at seven of them. Um, he swung at four times at five sinkers. And he swung at the curve that he saw, the sweeper that he saw, and the knuckle curve that he saw. Um, again, hard to be critical of a, of a you know, an all, uh, all-star and MVP candidate. But I would like to see him take a few more pitches and um and hunt for a pitch that he really can do damage with uh Derek Kelnick it's still a wonder to me why anyone throws him a fastball um it's pretty clear that you know I don't think he's incapable of hitting uh breaking balls but I do think that he he jumps on fastballs and he's a dead red hitter um I like how deep he gets into counts I think that uh he's he really is finding his groove he only swung seven times at 17 pitches. Uh, seeing 17 pitches in uh, four plate appearances is is nice. I think that allows, like I've said before, that allows for the uh, other hitters in the lineup to um, to see what the pitcher is offering. And also, uh, if everyone is doing it, helps the Mariners um, get to the opposing bullpens quicker, which can be a very effective tactic. Uh, at the beginning of a series to try to wear down a bullpen. Uh, Eugenio Suarez is so interesting because, you know, he looks to me like a uh, an extreme guest hitter. What I mean by that is I don't know if he has the ability to, to really identify what's coming. I think he's in some ways deciding whether to swing or not uh, pre-pitch. I don't know that for a fact. That's what it looks like at times from him. Uh, his at bat against who was it? Was it? I think it was his third at bat. Um, maybe it was his his fourth. There was one at bat where he saw two sweepers, and he was swinging almost as the pitch was released, and it was a probably a foot and a half outside, just ugly. So, okay, so bottom four um, against Schmidt. He had an ugly swing on the first pitch. It was 87 miles an hour sweeper, way out of the zone. Uh, did exactly the same thing on the second pitch. Same location, over a foot outside of the zone, 88 miles an hour, same swing, 0-2. Uh, and then he took a 94-mile-an-hour sinker for strike three. Uh, Julio did steal second on this pitch. Maybe he was instructed to or took the pitch because Julio ran and he got a good jump. But that was the pitch to swing at, not the two sweepers uh, over a foot outside. I think, as I said, I think uh, Suarez does guess a bit. Um, 
obviously he's been very clutch for the Mariners over the last year and a half or so, but, uh, and I don't know if you're changing him, you know, at this point in his career, but he's going to continue to hit for a low average as he continues to guess. Uh, Cal Raleigh, you know, low ball hitter. We've talked about it before. Uh, I think for a catcher to, to have an OPS um, in the high 700s, um, getting close to 800 and hitting for power is about all you can ask. Um, I don't know that I'm, we're going to see him improve as a hitter. Uh, his hit tool, I think, is what it is. I think it's slightly below average, but he's got above average power. Uh, also like that he's a switch hitter. He is a very different hitter against right-handed um, pitching rates, looking to to really hit for power, whereas as a right-handed hitter, he's more of a line drive swing. But I think Cal Raleigh is effective, and I don't think there's a whole lot that he can do uh, to get much better than where he is. Uh, Tao. Tao is stuck in between slider and fastball. He's behind on the fastball. He's out in front of the slider. Uh, he's chasing. You know, you see some signs of him spitting on a slider, but then he's chasing the next one way outside of the zone. I think he's in his head. He's probably feeling a bit of the pressure of the struggle. I very much expect him to improve. He's a major leaguer and he's a veteran. Um, I think he's the type of player where you can look at uh, the back of his baseball card and see um, – and predict what he's going to end up at the end of the year. Um, I still have confidence in him. I'm still happy that the Mariners made that trade uh, as far as improving their team, but um, he does. We do want to see him break out of this slump pretty soon. Taylor Trammell's a major leaguer. I don't think he needs to be sent down. Uh, he's taking walks. He'll eventually hit for power. Um, he is a little older for a prospect, but I think he, he should, he deserves another probably, 200 plate appearances to, to really prove himself. And then we went over Colton Wong earlier. Uh, that's my breakdown of the Mariners starters from this game and what I'd like to see from them offensively moving forward. Uh, but this was a fun game. As I said, I think that, that, you know, one zero matchups are a lot of fun. Um, I grew up in an era where, you know, pitching dominated at times. And I always love national league games where, you know, you tend to see three, two and two, one, uh, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and George Kirby is, is just, I don't know. He's a delight and we're really lucky to have the pitching staff that we do, uh, uh, to, uh, to watch here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, the upcoming series today, uh, which is Friday, tomorrow and Sunday in Texas against the Rangers. Um, this is an opportunity to really, really make up some ground on the Rangers. Uh, Friday night is Luis Castillo against John Gray. Um, Saturday is two lefties, Marco Gonzalez against Andrew Heaney. And then Sunday, uh, so Saturday's an afternoon game. Sunday's 1135 start. It's Bryce Miller against, uh, Nathan Eovaldi. But again, um, Mariners have an opportunity to really make up some ground. I think if the Mariners can take this series or even sweep, uh, we'll be talking about the Mariners in a much, much different, um, light. So, that was uh, my breakdown of the final game of the three-game set against the Yankees. Mariners have a day off today, Thursday, uh, be in Texas this weekend. Uh, happy viewing. Thanks for listening. Uh, again, I'm Tino Ganasius. Uh, this was the Mariners podcast from Sports Ethos. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20, T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0, and the podcast at Ethos. 
Mariners, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. Take care, y'all. See you in Texas. Peace.